Morning, Calvary. If we've never met, my name is Thomas. And as Jenny said, it's my birthday. Um, I hope you like working on your birthday. I do too. But in all seriousness, we're going to continue in a series that we've been in called This We Believe. For what we believe really matters. What we believe to be true about the world, us, others, God, truly influences how we treat ourselves, one another, God, and the world around us. And we have kind of in this middle section now. We spent the first part, first three, four weeks on what do we believe to be true about God. And we're in this middle section now about what do we believe to be true about humanity. And last week we looked at humanity created. That human beings, you and I, are not the outcome of an accidental evolutionary process in which you have simply become the most intelligent animal on the planet, but that you have been created on purpose by a benevolent, loving God, and you have been stamped in his image. And in the simplest way, we said, all that means is that when he looks at you, he sees something of himself. That when he looks at you, he sees something of himself. And not only were you created on purpose, but that you were created for a purpose. Your life is not meaningless. In fact, he gives you God's work to do to suppress chaos, to bring forth beauty and creativity and ingenuity for the flourishing of humanity and all of creation. It's this beautiful mandate. And that, was, that was last week. And today we're going to look at something a bit more serious is the condition of humanity. And the condition of humanity is a bit dreary these days. In fact, when we're having this conversation about truth, there would be very few things you could get a group of people to agree on that they believe. In fact, there'd be almost nothing you could get all of humanity to agree about, except for this one thing. I think you could get every person in this room and on the planet to agree about this one thing that the human condition as we experience it is not as it should be. Like your experience as a human being is not as you would want it to be. And there are hopes that it can change. And that's the only thing we could probably agree about. For as soon as you move from that fact to how do we change it or what change would look good, now everyone disagrees again. But everyone agrees that the present human condition is not as it should be. Especially in the last few years, we've noticed an uptick in anguish, in health, in consequential decisions that people are making that are fundamentally destructive. The Surgeon General just this year of the United States presented to Congress his concerns of a national crisis of loneliness and isolation leading to destructive behaviors. It's his assessment for teenagers that this is also the outcome of social media and technologies that have given us inaccurate pictures of ourselves. The Surgeon General, the same one, visited Colorado recently and went down to Children's Hospital. Because here in Colorado, the Children's Hospital did something that they have never done 
in 120 years, they declared a crisis. The Children's Hospital declared a state of an emergency, the first in the health system's 120-year history. After seeing nearly a 60% increase over two years in pediatric patients coming to the emergency department with mental health concerns. Now, just to bring some sobriety to this room of the human condition and where we're at today. According to the Colorado Department of Public Health, suicide is the leading cause of death in Colorado for youth and young adults. It is the second leading cause of death in the U.S. among those ages 10 to 14 and 25 to 34. That's crazy. We've never seen anything like it. It doesn't seem like anyone's talking about it. So the present human condition, we could all agree, is not as we would want it to be. And there are many doctors, many psychiatrists, many counselors, many people out there offering treatment plans to deal with your mental health anguish, concerns, self-harm habits. And I would just say that many of them are just not working. And if you'd go to a doctor with a health concern and they would prescribe a treatment plan and you would either not agree with it or you would try it for a period of time and it would not resolve the issue, in fact, things would get worse, what would you do? You'd go find what? A second opinion. And that's what I would like to be for you today is I would like to offer to you, maybe you already know these things, I'd like to offer to you, maybe to be shared with friends, where I'd like to offer you is a second opinion. A second opinion of what is the cause of the human condition. For without it, you cannot interpret what's going on accurately. And since you cannot interpret the condition accurately, we will not know the treatment or the cure without it. And so if I offend you this morning, just hang in there. We're going to land the plane somewhat today. And then tomorrow, next week, sorry, not tomorrow. If you're going to come back tomorrow, that'd be awesome. But come back next Sunday. We're going to talk about the cure, the condition today and the cure. Remember, this is a three-part series on the human condition, our creation, our condition, and its cure. Now, this key ingredient that you have to know that many people in the world are no longer talking about that's essential for framing our own pain and sorrow, our grief, our fears, our anxieties, our despondencies, is a really, really bad word. In fact, almost no one in America is willing to say it anymore. It's the word sin. In fact, the only time we use it is we're probably when we're talking about Las Vegas, and we have lost its meaning Back in 1973, there was a world-renowned psychiatrist named Carl Menninger. And he was known as a, as a psychiatrist that looked at the human condition and watched where humanity progressed from and to. And one of his observations was about sin. And he says, fascinating to watch human beings in the West, specifically in America, progress from sin being spoken about in public. Uh, it's a public concern to then being resolved to simply a 
private matter, like you go talk to your priest about that, go talk to your pastor about that, maybe you talk about sin at your church, to then devolving to it's a personal concern. Like what's sin for you might not be sin for me, what's sin for me might not be sin for you. You're, you have a definition of right, I have a, of, a, a definition of right, and it might not be the same. All the way to being dissolved to what's sin? No one talks about it anymore. And he wrote an entire book, it's a great book, entitled, What Became of Sin? And counselors today, looking back at his work, have made this observation. In his book, the doctor projected, this is 1973, so he's looking at the future ahead. There's coming a day, this is what he projected, there's a day would come when sin would no longer be an element of the human vernacular. He speculated that the explanation of sin and wrongdoing would be replaced by rationalizations excusing individual accountability. Menninger predicted the term sin would be replaced with words like disorder, dysfunction, syndrome, etc. And the human condition would be excused as a product of biochemistry, its environment, experiences, its trauma. He projected that even crime would go unpunished as criminal activity would be justified and minimized as the result of some medical abnormality for which no one could be held responsible. I feel like we're living in that day. And that's not to minimize our real traumas, injustices, abuses. Those are real. But without an understanding of sin, we cannot interpret them correctly. And so we live in a day in which no one is held accountable for their choices. And here's the predicament that Messenger points out. It's, it's, really, it's really harsh. If we are not accountable for our decisions, then we are not able to change anything. If you're not accountable for something, then you are not able to do anything about it. You are simply a bystander to the world around you projecting its influence on you, and you have nothing that you can contribute. There's a better story, my friends. There's such a better story than that. Here at Calvary, this would, is what we would say about the human condition. We looked at the first part of this last week. I think I threw it in my notes. We believe that God created Adam and Eve in his image, as we looked at last week. But they sinned. There's really a thing called sin. But they sinned when tempted by Satan in union with Adam. Human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under his wrath. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. And so what we believe is that there are, there are seeds of doubt and confusion that the enemy wants to sow into our thinking about who we are particularly that you are not accountable for anything in your life, that you're simply a victim of it all. Now, there are real tragedies in your life, and I don't want to minimize that. There are real traumas. There are real injustices. But without an understanding of sin, we cannot actually understand those things correctly. Now, where, where do we get this idea of sin? from the very beginning. It's, it's actually in the very beginning pages of Genesis. Go, so let's go back to Genesis where we looked at last week. We're not gonna be in chapter one this week, we're gonna be in chapter three. And in chapter three is where the present human condition begins. And I'm just gonna read part of it and we'll talk about it a little bit. 
God has given us his word for our understanding. He says, now the serpent, like that's the devil. Devil means liar. This liar, the serpent, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. First and foremost, you have to understand that Satan is a created being. He's not co-equals with God as though there's some like divine duality going back and forth. No, he is inferior to God. He is created. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? This is the first thing that, God, that Satan will always do is challenge what God said is not true. This is his first move always in our life. Did God really say, I mean, come on. Did God really say you were made in his image? Did God really say he made humanity male and female? Did God really say that's a marriage? Did God really say that's a baby? Did God really say a thousand times over in your life? Did God really say you shall not eat of any fruit of the trees in the garden? Did he actually say that? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat, or sorry, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, is that exactly what God said? Not quite. She got 80% right. That's good. That's better than I would have done. He didn't say you can't touch it. And I think in some ways, when she holds it, she, she begins to undermine even what she thinks God said. So she repeats back to him, this is what God said. Now, does she have an understanding of what's right and wrong at this point? Yeah. Does she know? Does she understand, comprehend what God has said? Absolutely. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the first tactic of Satan is to come and say, did God really say this? Is that really true? Who can know what truth is? It's truthy, right? And then his assault will go directly against God. That's not true. What God knows is something that is actually he's holding out on you. And so now just picture yourself as Adam and Eve, okay? So you're listening to this creature. What do you know? Like you know that there's a divine being that has made you. You're talking to something divine, something unusual. It's God. And now there's this other unusual being talking to you. And you have to decide whose voice do you listen to? That's all. You have two competing voices telling you something to be true. God has spoken first, and now there's this creature that seems to be maybe even like superior to you. I don't know, just this divine, crazy being that's also talking to you, making a truth claim. And part of their truth claim is don't believe what God has said. He's lying to you. And you have to decide whose voice will you follow? See, we're not really autonomous people. We follow voices. We all follow voices. And the question you have to ask is, whose voice do you follow? God's or the one that says, 
God's a liar. He's holding out on you. And what, is, what does Satan do? So his first tactic, right, is did God really say? Then he just calls God a liar. And then he, this is what he does with Eve. And I think he does this with all of us. The next move is this, to challenge their sufficiency. And what he says is, you're insufficient. You're lacking. In fact, if you would take of that tree, you would become like God. Now, what should Eve and Adam say at this point? We already are. Like God made us in his image. Check. What does Satan try to do? Satan will try to sell you something apart from God that's already true of you in God. You see the strategy? It's like you're insufficient and the very thing you need is apart from God over here. But the thing that he's offering is actually true of you if you would just stay in God. So what Adam and Eve should say is, we're already made in his image. We're already in his likeness. I don't need to go consume something to become like God. He has made us, both of us, in his image. Satan comes to try to prey on their sense of insufficiency and give them something apart from God, which is already true of them in God. Now, that's confusing. So perhaps it's helpful to talk about fairy tales. Fairy tales are fascinating to me. Pretty much all stories, modern movies, they're just recapitulations of the true human story that we find in the Bible. And one of the fairy tales, fairy tale named Snow White that maybe you're familiar with, is a fascinating, is a, is a fascinating fairy tale for me. The queen is someone who looks into a mirror. And what's the question that she asks the mirror? Who's the fairest in the land? What does fairest mean? Most beautiful. Who's the most beautiful? Well, for a time she was in the story. And then Snow White matures and she asks the mirror one day, who's the fairest? And it's her stepdaughter, Snow White. So, oh, well, I can't have that. And so she kind of puts away Snow White thinking that she's dead, but she's not. And so now she has to go and she's going to trick Snow White. And, and most of us, when we think of the Snow White fairy tale, we think of the queen disguised coming to her with an apple, right? Well, in the actual fairy tale, she comes multiple times. And she comes two times before she gives the apple. Do you know what she comes with the first two times? This is like 10,000 bonus cultural points for anyone who could answer. <laughs> She comes dressed as a saleswoman, and she goes kind of chanting, fine garments, fine wear, fine garments, fine wear, and she comes to Snow White's house, and she first entices Snow White to take on this beautiful garment in which she dresses Snow White in and then buttons it so tight she can't breathe and she passes out, and the, and the dwarfs come and revive her so she doesn't die. And then thwarted from her plan, she comes the second time. Do you know what she comes with? A comb. Someone said comb. It's a comb. She comes and she says, fine garments, fine wear. Look at this beautiful comb. And she puts it in Snow White's hair and it's poisoned and she collapses. Now, what are garments and combs supposed to do? Make you more beautiful. Does Snow White need to be more beautiful? Who's the fairest in the land? Is Snow White. What does the witch, what does this queen come to do? Try to convince her of her insufficiencies. You need to wear this. 
We need to brush out your hair. What could Snow White have said? I'm already the fairest. I don't need any of these adjustments to my image. You can't make me more beautiful with these things. Away. And here's Satan in the garden, the true human story in which Satan comes and says, you're insufficient. God has made you insufficient. If you take this apart from God, you'll become like God. And we believed the lie that we were insufficient. What we should have said is, no, God has made me this. This is what God has truly said of me away from me. This week at Kids Week was so fun talking about all sorts of truths in the world. And each of your teams had to have a team chant. I was part of the fifth grade boys group and we were the Jade Knights. And we made our chant, Knights in Jade, the dragon is slayed, standing in truth so we never get played. <laughs> and the fifth graders I asked them, I said, what, is, what does it mean to get played? He goes, oh man, getting played is getting tricked. Someone lies to you. Yeah, how do you keep yourself from getting played? You stand in truth. And so here is the devil's schemes to come and say, did God really say? Come on. God's a liar. That won't kill you. That will give you his likeness. You're insufficient. Now, if he can't get you on insufficiency, you know what he'll go for? All sufficiency. It's like, you don't need God. You don't need church. You don't need instruction. The truest you is just within. You don't need anybody. And so he can either play you apart from God saying you're insufficient, leave God to go get this, or you're all sufficient, don't, God, don't bother with God, stay within yourself. Well, what happens to Adam and Eve? You guys might know the story. Is they buy the lie. They, they did what, let's just be honest, what I would have done. Man, I, I feel so insecure sometimes. And someone playing on my insufficiencies. Man, I, I would totally buy in sometimes. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Like she has cognitive reason, reasoning. She knows what's going on. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. See, when God created them, he created them naked, and it says they were unashamed. I mean, like you could be in the presence of another person without any boundaries and there's no embarrassment. There's, there's just harmony amongst humanity, but not anymore. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And this is where sin came into the world and it affected the whole human race. And because everyone is an offspring of Adam and Eve, this is our present condition is that we're born into this state of sin. This is how Romans puts this Romans 12 or sorry Romans 5:12 Paul says therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all humanity all men because all sinned. The psalmist looking at his own birth he says this this is Psalm 51 for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. 
and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And from the moment I was born, I, I was sinful. There's a nature in me that needs to be cured. It's funny how it's, it's almost impossible to teach a young two-year-old to share, but man, they just learn how to steal all by themselves. <laughs> this is the condition that we're in, and we're all in it. And your sins aren't worse than mine, mine aren't worse than yours. We're in the same boat together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor adamantly opposing the work of the Nazis and Hitler, was imprisoned. And while he was in prison, he was writing some letters and correspondence and, and looking at the Nazis and what they had been doing. This is what his assessment of the situation was. Bonhoeffer says, nothing that we despise in the other man is entirely absent from ourselves. Like there are a lot of sinners that you might look at and go, oh man, that looks so bad. And what's in them is not totally absent from what's in you. For we are human and this is our condition. This is what we would call total depravity. Maybe you've heard that term before. Total depravity does not mean that we are as bad as we possibly could be, okay? People who, who have a misunderstanding of total depravity say, well, look at the world, look at all the goodness that people do who have no faith at all. Total depravity doesn't mean that they can't do good. It means that every area of our life has been tainted with sin. That's what total depravity means. Not that we are as bad as we could be, but that in all that we are, in every realm that we are, has been bent by sin. That's what total depravity means. And so let's go back to our story. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Yesterday, they walked with him in the cool of the day. Today, something has changed. And now humanity hides itself from God. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? I love this. Does God know where they are? Yeah. Does God know what they did? Yeah. So what does this tell you about God? He's seeking you. He wants to find you. So really you can be found by him. Like this is the heart of God. Isn't to be angry and want to kill all these sinners, but to go find them and rescue them. So God comes to his children and he calls out, where are you? Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Now fear is part of the human condition. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Who'd you listen to? That wasn't my voice. Whose voice have you followed? That's a question for everyone in this room. Like wherever you're at right now, like who is speaking to you? Who are you following? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, this is such a dude move, it's awesome. <laughs> the woman, right? So he first blames the woman, and then I love it, he blames God. This is so good. The woman that what? You. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not at fault here. It's her and it's you. You gave her to me. Oh, man, no accountability. It's weak. 
The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Oh, maybe it's not just a dude problem. There's a lady problem too. The serpent. It's not my fault. I'm going to blame, blame the serpent, serpent that you put in the garden. It, you, you did this to us. So maybe it's a human problem not to take accountability. It's, it's their fault. It ain't mine. Man, it's their fault. And so God brings all of them in and brings judgment on them all. And they, this is the consequence, this is what death is. They will now depart from the presence of God. That's death. Life is to be in the presence of God. Death is to be in the absence of God. That's it. If you want life, you want to be with God. If you want death, you want to be apart from God. That's what life and death is. Now, here, here's the goodness and kindness of God. Even after this condemnation, you, you just think about he, what's been fractured here. So here are human beings together, naked, no shame, walking with God in the cool of the day. The creation and the order was all set. And now what has happened? Fear, blame, and shame have entered. You ever experienced those? Fear, blame, and shame? Like, that's my life. That's where this is from. This is where it's from. This is the origin of it. And so the relationship with God is fractured. Their relationship with one another is fractured. Their relationship with creation is fractured. And get this, their relationship with themselves is fractured. Now this isn't pointed out very often. I'm just going to point it out today because you live in the Western world. The moment of sin, what happens? Their eyes are opened and they realize they're naked and what do they do? They try to clothe themselves. At the moment of sin, no human being is comfortable in their body anymore. If you've ever felt that, I'm just not comfortable in my body. What my mind and my body are telling me be like two different things. Yeah, welcome to humanity. There's actually no human that I know of that's comfortable in their own body. This is all the ways in which we're trying to lose a little weight, gain a little bit of weight, make ourselves up, you go get a pedicure, manicure, dress ourselves. We're trying to look younger, maybe even look older with some fake IDs. I don't know. Like you're not comfortable in your body. Do you know why? Do you know what the root issue is? Is sin. Now there's a remedy for it. And it's not to change your body. And we'll look at that next week. There's a cure for sure. And that's where God comes in here. Verse 20 says, the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And here's 21. Just check this out. This is the goodness of God. God's so good. He loves you so much. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Like there's so many ways that humanity tries to cover up their sin, tries to cover up how they're not secure in their own bodies. And, and the fig leaves, I mean, it's just like a failed, almost embarrassing attempt. Like, that's not going to make it in November. But God, but God's so rich. Like, good luck. Go clothe yourselves. No, God intervenes here. And he makes them garments, not of vegetation, but of animal skins. And this would be the first time you see the shedding of innocent life and the spilling of blood to cover humanity's sin. And that will be practiced for many years. 
the shedding of innocent life to spill their blood to cover sin that points forward to an ultimate solution, a one-time perfect sacrifice, not with an animal, but with the Son of God, to spill his innocent blood, not that our sins would be covered, but that they would be cured. This is why in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, if you've been baptized in Christ, you are what? Clothed. This is, the re- this is the reversal of Genesis 3. You'll be clothed in Christ. Like you put on the flesh of Christ, the true, perfect, redeemed humanity as he intended you to be. The only cure for the root issue of sin is the work of Christ. And I know so many religious people try to show up with their adornments of like, look at my merits, look what I've done, look at the goodness and kindness and my generosity. It's just, that's just, it's just polluted. Everything's bent. But come and put on Christ. Come and put on Christ. And there's two, vo- there's two voices today. One, which is the benevolent father saying, come. Where are you? Where are you? Come. I've given my son for you. Come and be clothed in Christ. And there's another voice that says, That's so stupid. Clothed in Christ, you don't need Jesus. You can do it all by yourself. And the question is, whose voice, whose voice are you willing to listen to? Let's pray. Father, our condition is rather bleak apart from the work of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I just ask for all my friends in this room and for myself that our ears would be tuned to the voice of a benevolent, loving, heavenly Father who calls out to us, where are you? And Lord, I don't know where everyone is this morning. I don't know where they feel their humanity in all of its brokenness. But Lord, I pray that they would know that none of it can separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. They would come to you and be forgiven. They would come to you and be clothed in the true humanity of Jesus the work of Christ, the merits of Christ, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bring those who feel the most shame this morning, the most embarrassment, those who have the most doubts, Lord, I pray that they would hear you calling to them, come, come, for you have clothes of righteousness that restore what has been broken. We pray this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.